Welcome to the A Catholic Life Podcast. I am Matthew, the author of A Catholic Life, welcoming you to episode 11 of the A Catholic Life Podcast. In today's episode, published on the third Sunday after Easter, I'd like to go over two different topics this day. First, I'd like to discuss how actually the 1962 calendar is not traditional at all in the first week of May. It's one of the few incidences we really see outside of Holy Week, how changes that occurred after and including in the year 1955 really affected what we celebrate in the 1962 Missal and how truly traditional Catholicism must go back to the 1954 calendar at least. I'd like to discuss that. And secondly... I'd like to discuss at a brief overview the spirituality of May, especially in honor of the Most Blessed Virgin Mary, providing some actual real advice we can do to honor her and better live out a Catholic life this month in May. First and foremost, though, I'd like to start, though, by thanking CatechismClass.com for sponsoring today's episode. CatechismClass.com is the leader in online Catholic catechism classes, offering everything from online children's faith formation from kindergarten through the end of high school, RCIA classes for converts, adult continuing education for Catholics, lifelong or not of all ages, marriage preparation, godparent and parent baptism classes, confirmation preparation, quinsay preparation classes, catechist training courses, and so much more. And in particular, they have a wonderful 10-part course on Mariology available, going over the devotions and spirituality of the Most Blessed Virgin Mary, especially appropriate for this month of May. The course, linked to in the show notes, is only $29. Please give it a look. It's one of the best online self-study course sites I have ever seen. It's one I am happy to be a part of and help promote. So again, the 10-part course on Mariology is especially pertinent this month of May. So thank you to catechismclass.com for sponsoring today's episode. Going into the first topic, how the 1962 calendar is actually not traditional and how we see this in a few different ways, one of which we see most profoundly this first week of May, is how a number of different feast days have been changed. So a couple of, um, a couple of these are really seen, um, especially when you consider how serious the changes were from a historical perspective. So we'll buy with this. What I mean is, in May of last year, I wrote an article for the Fatima Center called Honoring Saints Twice, St. John, St. Michael, and the Eastertide Feast of St. Joseph, and I will have that in the show notes. But basically what happened is, in addition to a number of changes that occurred in the calendar in 1955 under Pope Pius XII, one of which was the institution of the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker on May 1st, he subsequently then moved the Feast of Saints Philip and James, which was on May 1st. In fact, it had been on May 1st since the 6th century. It was a holy day of obligation for a long time. So were all the apostles. So this was a very significant feast in the life of the church for over a thousand years. It goes back, like I said, to the 6th century. And he moved their feast from May 1st uh, to May 11th to institute this Feast of St. Joseph the Worker. But when he did so, he actually suppressed 
uh, the Feast of the Patronage of St. Joseph, which already occurred. Now, since Pope Pius IX's decree on September 10, 1847, this particular feast in honor of the patronage of St. Joseph had been celebrated on the second Wednesday after the octave of Easter. Now, this particular feast in honor of the patronage of St. Joseph goes back a little bit of time before. Now, in 1911, this feast was raised to a double of the first class, and it was also assigned an octave. And at that time, it was celebrated uh, on a Sunday, the third Sunday after Easter, which is today. Now, part of Pope St. Pius X's reforms that are talked about is the elimination of a lot of these saints days that were tied to Sunday, and he moved them to different uh, other days in the year or fixed on certain days. Another incidence we see of this is the Feast of the Precious Blood used to always be the first Sunday of July. He changed that to July 1st, which does not always fall on a Sunday. Now, what he did is, uh, in addition um, to, to those changes, um what he did with the Feast of St. Joseph is he added an octave to it. So this is because, really, the Feast of St. Joseph that's on March 19th every year is celebrated during Lent, and feasts during Lent do not have an octave. So one of the greatest saints in the life of the Church, St. Joseph, it should be fitting that he should be celebrated with an octave. So this particular feast, which is not very ancient, in fact, it was instituted during the hostile occupation of Rome by... um, the Italian king, Victor Emmanuel II. It was during that time period, really, um, you know, in the 1800s when it was instituted. And at that time, the Pope proclaimed St. Joseph the patron of the oppressed household of the faith, and he entrusted St. Joseph to the defense of Holy Mother Church. Now, one way we can better honor St. Joseph is by keeping that spirituality in mind. As such, there's nothing wrong with honoring St. Joseph as the patron saint of workers, but I and others who've gotten more into the liturgical year have a problem with it displacing the ancient feasts of Saints Philip and James from their spot on liturgical year for over a millennium to May 11th, which was the first feria day, when, which did not have a saint. So I do keep May 1st as the feast of Saints Philip and James personally. Another instance we see that's rather significant, I think, is May 3rd was for a very long time the feast of the finding of the Holy Cross. Now, this particular feast was removed. So going back to the Honoring Saints Twice article I wrote, there were additional changes that occurred to the calendar in 1960 when John the 23rd removed most saints who were mentioned twice. For instance, uh, one of these, the Feast of the Finding of the Holy Cross, which was always on May 3rd, and which in previous times was a holy day of obligation. We see that in the list of holy days of obligation from 1642 by Urban the uh, Eighth. It's on there. He removed this because he said, well, there's already a feast in honor of the Holy Cross in September, the exaltation of the Holy Cross. So he removed this one and kept the one on September 14th. He also removed the second feast of St. Agnes, which commemorated her apparition roughly a week after her death when she appeared to her parents who were praying at her tomb. And he also removed the feast of St. John before the Latin Gate. Before we get into St. John before the Latin Gate, Um, A few things. The Feast of the Finding of the Holy Cross is really a forgotten feast day. In some places, it's called the Invention of the Holy Cross. It's also known as Rood Mass. So if you see that, R-O-O-D 
M-A-S. That's referring to today. And as I said, it used to be a holy day of obligation for a long period of time. Thankfully, those who are praying the 1962 Missal, if you are a priest and you're listening, the, uh, May 3rd is a, is a feria day. There's nothing on the calendar because he removed that because uh, he said it was a duplication. But by using even the rubrics from the 1962 Missal, it's very possible to have a, uh, have a votive mass in honor of the finding of the Holy Cross on May 3rd. And I would wholeheartedly recommend any priest who says the 1962 Missal to do that and to honor that particular feast day on this day. Um, I will have in my show notes information uh, about those rubrics as well as about all of these forgotten feasts. Another of those forgotten feasts, besides the Feast of the Finding of the Holy Cross, which is different than the Exaltation of the Holy Cross, is St. John before the Latin Gate. Now, this was celebrated every single year on May 6th, and it recalled the boiling in oil of St. John the Apostle. Now, since he survived this ordeal unscathed, as well as an attempt to poison him, he was then exiled to the island of Patmos. It was on a Sunday while he was on that island that he received the divine revelation, which we know of as the Apocalypse, or the Book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. He later returned to Ephesus, battled the Gnostic heretics there, and he died around the year 100 A.D. Now, his feast on May 6th was celebrated with red liturgical vestments, just like any martyr, whereas his feast day, as we remember, is always during the octave of Christmas each year on December 27th. Now, he has two feasts, and this is because this particular feast recalls his martyrdom, which God preserved him for. That's why we can say St. Stephen, who we remember each year on December 26th, was a martyr in will and in deed. St. John was a martyr in will, but not deed. And December 28th, the Holy Innocents, they were martyrs in deed, but not in will. And we see that nice variation between those. This feast, though, that is no longer kept in the 1962 Missal in honor of St. John, was kept in honor, really, of that attempted martyrdom, which God preserved him for. And a church was built near that spot. Um, the St. John before the Latin Gate, there's actually some churches in America still named after that. Sadly, the feast has been forgotten. And then we finally have, and this is going to be going over into next week, the feast of the apparition of St. Michael the Archangel. I'll have more information on that particular feast in the next episode. But that's uh, suffice to say that that was another feast that was removed for duplication purposes from the calendar, even though it was very ancient. Now, the feast of the uh, Eastertide Feast of St. Joseph is one we can keep of the spirituality intact, as well as St. John before the Latin Gate, as well as the finding of the Holy Cross this particular week. We don't want to have those feast days simply removed from our Catholic ethos, as well as the Saints Philip and James from their spot, which they were on the liturgical calendar for so long. Modern novelty started long before the 1960s with Vatican II. They were in the 50s. If we see my work on the history of fasting and absence, there was continued deterioration in the liturgical life of Catholics, not just in America, but uh, around the globe for decades. And we see that as well in the elimination of different traditions and of different liturgical principles. So I will have a link in the show notes to all of these days. Please put these on your calendar. Try to observe these out. If you are a priest, 
make sure you have a votive mass in honor of these particular days this week. We do what we can to honor these days in liturgical life as they were known and loved by the faithful who are in heaven right now for thousands of years, really. But in the second topic, I'd like to go over a few things we can do this May. So May, the great month in honor and the most blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, I'll have a link in the show notes to some forgotten customs of Mary. But just to list some, so you can keep them in mind this month, is um, first and foremost, the Litany of Loretto. Now, this uh, litany is commonly added to the end of our rosaries during May. It's something I would encourage you to do. It's one of six approved public litanies in the church. You can read more about what a public versus a private litany is. The litany was likely composed in or around Paris around the year 1150 or 1200. In 1558, it was formally adopted for public use of the famous Marian Shrine in Loreto. Now, this Italian city on the Adriatic coast is where the Holy House of Nazareth was miraculously transported by angels after infidels overran the Holy Land. And Pope Sixtus V approved its use for public worship in 1587, and he urged it to be prayed. There is a partial indulgence for those who pray the Litany of Loretto. May is also uh, the month where most parishes have May crownings. In our own homes, we can crown a statue of Our Lady as Queen. And if we don't have a statue, we can easily place before an image of Our Lady a beautiful bouquet of flowers this month and keep those watered and keep those beautiful in her honor. Um, Another thing we can do is make sure we're honoring the first Saturday devotion. So this coming first Saturday, get to Mass. Honor the request of Our Lady On December 10th, 1925, Our Blessed Lady appeared again to Sister Lucia Fatima. This was now um, after the 1917 apparitions. As I said, this was towards the end of 1925 when she formally requested the first Saturday devotions. Now, those devotions consist of going to the Sacrament of Confession, receiving the Holy Eucharist in the state of grace, praying five decades of the Holy Rosary of Our Lady, including the Fatima Prayer, and keeping Mary company for 15 minutes while meditating on all the mysteries of the rosary and doing so with the intention of making reparation to her. And in May, in, um, on May 29, 1930, our Lord Jesus Christ himself appeared to Sister Lucia and explained more on why heaven requested the first Saturdays. You can read more about that apparition and what our Lord actually said to her in the show notes. Another thing we can do is check out the local calendars for our church and our countries to find different regional feast days of Mary. There's many different ones throughout the world. For instance, Our Lady of Power is celebrated on May 12th in France. One day later is Our Lady of Aparecida, patroness of Brazil. A few days later, we have Our Lady of Tears in Spoleto, Italy. On May 30th, Mexico keeps the feast of Our Lady of the Sacred Heart. And there's so many other ones that people don't even realize are titles of Our Lady. And we don't have to go far. We don't have to do a lot to honor her. But something we might want to do is go on pilgrimage. And going to Europe, whether that be Lourdes, Fatima, Loreto, or even Mexico City to Our Lady of Guadalupe might be too far. There's certainly places we can take trips to as a family, whether it be this May or throughout this year in America, one of which is the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C., which is the largest church in the United States and one of the ten largest in the world. But there's also the National Shrine of Our Lady of Consolation in Cary, Ohio, a place of peace where pilgrims can uh, pray and pay homage to the Blessed Mother. 
There's also the Central Miraculous Metal Shrine in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The National Shrine of Our Lady of the Miraculous Metal is also in Perryville, Missouri, and both are worth visiting. And there's also the Shrine of St. Bernadette and Our Lady of Lourdes, located on the other side of the country in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which includes a bronze replica of the saint's incorrupt body and a replica of the shrine in Lourdes. Uh, there's the Shrine of Our Lady of La Leche in St. Augustine, Florida. It was the first shrine dedicated to the Blessed Virgin Mary in America, and the history of the devotion to the Blessed Mother as Our Lady under this title has roots in a 4th century grotto from Bethlehem. So May is an ideal time to take a road trip with the family to the closest Marian shrine. There's many more that I didn't list here, but pilgrimages to beautiful Catholic cathedrals or basilicas or other churches in our area, truly beautiful ones that still retain traditional Catholicism, would really be enriching for your family. There's many opportunities to live out the joy of Paschal Tide this May, since we're still in the Easter season, and we can do so while keeping a Marian focus. And of course, if you haven't done so, pray the rosary every day this May, wear the brown scapular at all times, and encourage other family members to do it. And of course, if someone has not been properly rolled in the brown scapular by a priest, that is necessary to receive the promises, so ensure that is done. Again, there will be more information in the show notes, but this is a great week for us to live out a truly traditional liturgical life by keeping some of these forgotten feast days that have been removed from the calendar in our minds, in our practice, in our prayers. And it's also a wonderful week for us to set the right intentions to honor the Blessed Virgin Mary this May. Sit down, write two, three, four things you as a family or as an individual can do this month to honor her to really make this month special. I thank you again for listening to the A Catholic Life Podcast. I really appreciate all of your support all of you who download this podcast, who share it with others, who spend time listening. It certainly takes me a long time to research and write and put this together, and I pray that it really finds you well and that it does enrich your spiritual life. I ask you if you could please uh, spare a prayer for me and for my family, and I thank you all very much. May God bless you, and may God grant you a most blessed remainder of this Paschal season. Ad maiorum Dei Gloriam. Quid olis peccata mori?